0: good morning friends and welcome again to the digital gathering my name is steve and it is great to be together even in this strange way today marks the last sunday for a little while anyway where we will only gather online we have the opportunity for the next four sundays to meet live and in person on the grounds at bet Haverim. Our local Jewish synagogue here in Davis, over on Anderson Road by the Save Mart Shopping Center. We'll be able to meet at 10 a.m., same time as normal, and we will have a digital broadcast that goes simultaneously, um, just in case you're not able to be with us uh, in person next Sunday morning. So both things will be happening at the same time time. But I did want to take a few moments just to sort of walk through what the experience is going to be like for those who are, who are able, who are well enough, who uh, are up for it to gather uh, next week. What, what will happen is the, the way that their campus is laid out, it's this sort of U-shaped driveway. You'll, you'll come in the entrance and then you'll drive around to what I would call the back and park back there, get out of your car, and, and you'll, you'll make your way through a, a one of two checkpoints that we'll have set up. You'll be greeted by someone who will be happy and smiling. You won't be able to see the smile, of course, because it will be behind a mask. But they'll take your temperature. There'll be hand sanitizer there for you. They'll also have laid out these self-contained communion elements. You just grab one or or as many as you need for your family uh, and take that with you. And then once you kind of get past the checkpoint, we will have marked out with cones Areas where you can sort of set up chairs or blankets. The the ground cover is this like redwood bark type stuff, which is uh, you know soft enough to sit on and you know not too hard. And you can also have a chair out there as well. So whatever you want to bring, bring that with you so you have a spot to sit. And again, we'll sit socially distanced. We'll keep our masks on, and then we'll walk through a gathering that's very similar in format to what we've been doing in these digital gatherings: a call to worship sing a couple of songs, brief announcements, short teaching. The teaching that is live will be about uh, 10 minutes. Uh, the teaching that will happen online will be more of our kind of full 20-minute-ish <laughs> teaching time. Uh, and then we'll close with uh, more worship and a time to take communion together as a church in person for the first time since March. Afterwards, uh, you're welcome to, to, to say hi to people and mingle a little bit. Of course, keeping our distance during that time will be important. And then uh, you'll be able to go home, go to lunch, do whatever the things are you need to do. Now, a couple more instructions. So uh, we are guests uh, in this place, and it's a beautiful spot with redwood trees, and it should be you know shady as long as the weather is cooperating with us. Uh, but this is not our property, so we need to be very respectful. and. Um, One of the things that is happening in uh, conjunction with our Sundays there is a a couple of very important Jewish holidays like Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. And so we want to honor their grounds uh, by not bringing on any non-kosher items. So really, we're, we're encouraging you to only bring water, maybe a cup of coffee, No meat, obviously, nothing else really. You can save snacks and stuff for after we're done. Um, Go out to lunch again, whatever those things are that you want to do. Just don't bring them on to the grounds. And then uh, when we leave, we want to make sure that we leave that place better than we found it. So we'll clean everything up and uh, uh, smooth out the areas that we were sitting or or standing. And, And again, try to leave the grounds in as good of shape as possible. Uh, One final thing is we do have uh, a couple of opportunities to serve. I think the spots are already filling up. I think the first week's already full. But if you would like to help serve at one of these gatherings, we'd love to have your help. Uh, This will be one of, again, the few times that we can serve each other in person before the end of the year. So take advantage of that if you would like to serve in that way. Email Carrie, Carrie at DiscoveryDavis.org, and she'll find a spot. For you. All right, I would, uh, I'd like to pray right now both for our time this morning but also for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and again, just encourage you if you have questions, you can email me, you can email Carrie, we'd be happy to help you with that. All the information that I just shared and much, much more will be available on the webpage and the app in case you need to go back and review any of that. But right now, let's pause and let's pray for these upcoming live gatherings. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we have been able to continue gathering during this pandemic uh, in this way online. It's, it's weird and it's not how we would prefer it, but it is still a good gift to us, this uh, reminder that we are the church wherever we are, whether we're in a theater on a Sunday morning or in our living rooms, God, but we are so grateful for the opportunity to be together in person for these upcoming weeks. Thank you for Bet Haveram, their leadership, the, the generosity that they have extended towards us to meet on their property and to worship you in that place, God. I pray that we would uh, be good guests, that we would honor their generosity well. Um, and then would those moments just be rich experiences for us, things that we uh, someday look back on and, and remember Can you believe we got to do that at that time? God, I pray that these would be moments where we are able to uh, reconvene, reconnect, remember who we are as a community, but also moments where uh, you bring other people alongside us, where we are able to invite people to check out who we are and what we're all about, God, that you would just bring the right people to those gatherings. Thank you for the opportunities that you have given us to to serve and to be a blessing, to steward and use the things, the gifts, the resources that you have entrusted to us to further your kingdom. And we continue uh, to ask God that you would use us to help people discover the good news of Jesus in this place. We pray all of this in Jesus' powerful name. And we all say, Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, open with me to James chapter 5. James is a letter in the New Testament. It's towards the very end of your Bible. If you have a physical copy of the Bible, you can turn there. I'm just going to read one verse from James chapter 5, and then we'll um, come back to this verse again at the end of our conversation. We're going to be in a number of other places in Scripture throughout our time this morning. But let's begin here. James 5 verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now we're going to get started this morning with a pop quiz. For those of you who grew up in the 90s or are a fan of 90s related things, this should be a fairly easy quiz for you. Uh, But there was a TV show that came out in the early 90s that that in many ways ended up revolutionizing television. And it had a tagline. And if you watch the the show for more than two or three episodes, this tagline became permanently seared on your brain. What I'm going to do is just give you part of that tagline. And then you need to guess the show that it comes from. And if you're with other people, perhaps show off a bit of your knowledge. So here we go. The end of the tagline is this. What happens when people stop being polite and start getting real? What happens when people stop being polite and start getting real? This, of course, from the great 90s show, The Real World on MTV. One of the the first reality shows to really take off, and it was over-the-top and ridiculous in many different ways, but nobody had ever really seen anything like this before on TV. This drama that came from seven very different people getting together and living in the same place for a a period of time and all the interpersonal conflict that went along with that. Now, one of the features of the show was this thing called the confessional. It was usually a room where... Uh, the the folks on the show could go and talk directly to the camera without any of the other people being involved. It's now kind of become reality TV dogma to have this confessional moment. But again, I think the real world was the first show to do that. So you'd have some big thing that happened in the kitchen, right? You know, somebody found out that somebody kissed somebody else or they're upset about a mess in the house or whatever is going on. And then they would cut to the confessional, and one of those characters would say, okay, but this is what really happened, or this is how I felt when that was going down. Now, as over the top as the show was, one of the reasons I think it resonated with people is that interpersonal drama is universal. It's universal to the human experience, as is the need to process that drama. No matter who you are or what you claim to believe, every single one of us will do something or have something happen to us, right? That breaks relationship, that violates some social agreement or is out of bounds in some way. And one of the great questions we all face is, now what? What do we do about this. How do we make it right? Now here at Discovery, we do our best. We're not perfect by any means, but we do our best to follow the teachings of Jesus. We say it this way. We want to be apprentices of his way of life. One of the first things that Jesus did when he burst onto the scene was to call people, invite people to name their stuff to name the ways in which they had broken relationship with God and with other people, and then inviting them to choose a different way, choosing to live differently. The Bible talks about this process, and then it's not just Jesus, it's all over the Bible, uh, using a number of different terms. Three key words, though, that I want us to look at this morning, this process of, of sin, confession, and repentance. Now, These are are loaded and weighty words. For some of us, they they might even be unfamiliar words like sin, confession. What what is this? For others of us, we may have some very negative emotions attached to those words. So we're going to reacquaint ourselves with each of those words here this morning. But first, I want to just quickly orient us to the larger conversation. All right. Throughout the year, we've been introducing our community to different practices. Sometimes these are called spiritual disciplines, and we've been practicing these practices together, things like Sabbath and fasting and solitude and prayer. Now, why are we doing this? Why spend time with these practices? I think there's a number of different reasons. I want to just give you two right now. One is that Jesus One of the answers to this question comes from something that Jesus says very clearly. This comes at the end of his most important teaching in the book of Matthew, maybe his most important teaching in any of the accounts of his life, where Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who builds their house on a rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Wisdom it is not just growing in information acquisition. It's actually doing what Jesus said. Not just learning the information or agreeing with it, but doing it. Wisdom is lived. The good news of Jesus must be experienced and lived out. So part of the reason we spend time here is, is in response to what Jesus himself said and invited us into. Now the other reason... Or another reason for the practices comes from a really big question that in many ways connects, is the the thread that connects a lot of our conversations this year. This question is renewal, revival, movement, refreshment, whatever you want to call it. It, it. Does God still move in our world today? Intuitively, I think we all get that the world in which we live in, that the conditions are not great for faith to flourish. Certainly the, the data backs that up, right? All the graphs about church and spirituality and things like that trending downwards. And so we're left with this question, left wondering, does God still move in our world? Is renewal actually possible? I believe We at Discovery believe the answer to that question is yes, it has to be yes, right? And there's this uh, repeated pattern in Scripture throughout history that shows this to be true, that there are these cycles where God does move, where there are renewals. And in these patterns, the practices play a very vital role. Renewal doesn't happen just because we do these things. It's not like, do a couple practices and voila, God shows up in some amazing way. Okay, This is not a, a formula or a magical process. But the pattern is there when remnants of people say, we don't want to live like this anymore. There's got to be more to this. And devote themselves to God by practicing His ways and His rhythms of life. It creates space for the Spirit to move. And there are so many examples of this. Just want to give you one right now. In the 18th century in Eastern Germany, a movement started with a very small group of people. The the One of the founding uh, people of this group was a guy named Count Zinzendorf, which is just an amazing name. (laughs) But this group of people devoted themselves to a couple of key things. They took prayer very seriously. They started a 24-7 prayer meeting that lasted over 100 years. They took serving the poor seriously. They took solitude and community seriously. They took confession and repentance seriously. This little movement that became known as the Moravian Renewal, ended up sending out hundreds of people around the world to share the good news of Jesus. This became the foundation of what's called the modern missionary movement. Now, whether we're talking about personal or communal renewal, this practice of confession always plays a critical role. Now, as we said earlier, there are some terms here that can be kind of heavy that we may have some baggage with that we need to unpack and sort of re- Acquaint ourselves with. So, to understand confession, we need to talk a little bit about words like sin and repentance. So, let's start with sin. And anytime we talk about sin, it's important, I think, to begin that conversation with the way that God created the world to work. When God created, He had a vision for the functioning and flourishing of His creation. The writers of Scripture, particularly of the Old Testament, use a word called uh, shalom to describe this. In the New Testament, we, we read phrases like kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, the way that God intended the world to function. But then there are ways in which we choose to work against that functioning and flourishing. And Scripture, both Old and New Testament, calls this sin. So you have shalom, peace, wholeness, harmony. Everything in its right and proper place, working the way that God intended it to work. You have God's kingdom where his will is lived out in right relationships between God, God and humans, human beings and other human beings, humans and creation, this web of right relationships. And then you have anything that disrupts, that disorders, that upends, that rebels against that ordering, that shalom, that kingdom, anything that violates or tears apart right relationships. This is what we're talking about when we talk about sin. I love this quote from Adele Calhoun. The truth is we all sin, she writes. Sin is anything that breaks relationships. Jesus is totally realistic about broken relationships. He experienced them. He was put to death by them. And yet Jesus taught that the damage done through sin was not the last word on life. Sin can be confessed. Sin can be forgiven. And sinful people can be set free. How good is that? Sin can be confessed and forgiven and sinful people can be set free. Now, she begins there to sort of hint at and unpack what the good news of Jesus really is, but for many of us, we struggle with this question, okay, I've sinned, I've done some stuff wrong, I've violated shalom, I've broken relationships, but what do I do? Is there a way back into right relationship? Some traditions say things like this. Okay, you do some things wrong, but you also do some things right. And the goal is to get the right to outweigh the wrong. Some traditions say the problem is you just don't know enough. And so you need more education or you need to be enlightened in some way. In the Old Testament, the people of God killed an animal. They they had this sense of, of something needs to substitute for us. And so there was this sacrificial system. And then along comes Jesus. And again, as he introduces himself, he says, the kingdom of God is here. Something new is happening. Choose this new thing. Turn from whatever it is that you are pursuing and follow me. In other words, Jesus says, I am the solution. I am the way, the truth And the life. This is such good news for us. This truth that someone intervenes for us so that we can freely relate to God, so that we don't have to hide or cover up or pretend or try harder. We can be honest and in that honesty find freedom. Our sin can be confessed and forgiven so that we can be free. And healed. In the book of Hebrews, we read, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The confidence, the freedom to be in God's presence, to approach the throne of grace. This is such good news for us. So this word repentance It means literally to turn, to turn around, to choose a different direction. The first step of repentance is confession. Naming the truth that the place I currently occupy, this is not where I want to be. And so we turn and we go in a new way. So sin is violating shalom, broken relationships. Confession is naming the violation. And then repentance is turning and heading in a Jesus-focused, kingdom-oriented direction. So what I want to do now to close out our time here is let's round out this definition of confession. Let's talk about how we can practice this practice. And then I want to end on just a moment of vision. So confession, in a literal sense, it means to acknowledge with. To acknowledge with. There's this element of naming sin, but there's also a positive side to confession. Maybe you've heard the phrase confession of faith, naming what we believe to be true. So confession it is not just about listing off all of the bad things that we have done, it's telling the truth. Richard Foster calls confession the end of pretense. It's so when we no longer need to pretend, we tell the truth, so that the truth can set us free. So here's our working definition, all right, kind of taking some of these ideas and combining them together. Confession is telling the truth about myself to God, to others, and also to me, to myself. Let's break that down. We begin with God. Healthy confession involves going to God and telling the truth. God, this is who I am and what I have done. First John 1:8 and 9 If we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us But if we confess our sins he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness Again tremendous good news we don't have to pretend we don't have to hide we can lay it out there tell the truth about ourselves and God will forgive us accept us bring us back into right relationship Confession, though, is not just a me and God thing. As you explore the practices, you will find that there are long lists. And there's a, you know, a bunch of different books that, that walk through these things, and we've offered those to you at different points along this journey. But if you take a look at some of these books, you'll see lists of 8, 10, 12, all the way up to 40 different practices. And there are uh, in some of these you know, uh, lists, there are categories The three basic categories are are what we might call personal practices, communal practices, and then there are practices that overlap both the personal and the communal. So solitude, for example, obviously personal. You literally have to do that by yourself. Then there's prayer, which can be both. Sometimes that's just a personal thing. Sometimes that's a communal thing. Now confession, interestingly enough, is universally listed as a corporate or communal practice. To acknowledge with. Now, this does not mean that you need to go and share all of your stuff with everyone, with everyone in the church or with everyone in your group or whatever the context is. That can be foolish and dangerous. But at the same time, at the same time, without telling the truth to someone, To an actual person, you are missing a core function of this practice. Back to that verse we read from James earlier. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is something about sitting with another person, someone in in flesh and blood, ideally in the same place, and saying, this is me. This is my struggle. This is my sin, and I, I need help. I can't do this alone. Spirit always seeks incarnation. Now that's kind of a jargony statement. Spirit always seeks incarnation. What do I mean by that? There are these spiritual truths that have to play themselves out in real life. We need safe, loving, actual people that we can share our stuff with because it's in that sharing that we find the path towards healing. And it's telling here that James uses the word righteous, someone who fights for right relationship. That's who you want to confess to now, one more element to this, and I think this may be the biggest challenge for some of us. I know it is for me. This is confessing the truth to ourselves. My wife, Amy, often knows what I need to confess before I do, and that's not supposed to be like a marriage joke or whatever. I mean, I obviously need to confess things to her when I, when I do uh, something that, that offends her or breaks relationship with her. But oftentimes, it's just her noticing, hey, th- I think this is going on with you. And then I have to kind of go, yeah... You're right. (laughs) That is really what's going on with me because we can do some of our most pernicious hiding from our own selves. The first step, though, of healing, repentance, this practice of confession is coming to the place where we can say to ourselves, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm Drinking too much. I've got anger issues. This job is killing my soul. I've neglected my spouse. I'm failing out of school. I need to get rid of this credit card. I can't do this anymore. I Can't live like this anymore. Sometimes the hardest person to be honest with is your own self. Which is why in many ways we come full circle. We pray along with David, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Confession. Telling the truth about myself to God, to others, and to me. Now, two practical steps for us. One, on our app, we have a resource for you. If you go to uh, the group uh, icon on the app, click that. There will be another uh, prompt towards uh, practice resources. We have a great big resource for this practice. Our goal here in these teachings is not to lay it all out for you, but to sort of scratch the surface to spur you on to further exploration. So hopefully that is a helpful tool for you. Second practical thing you can do is to get involved in a group. This is why we are so big on groups here at Discovery, because groups create space to develop the kinds of friendships with real, actual people where you can be honest. Again, you may not do this with every single person in your group, and that's actually probably wise, but groups are a place where you can develop those relationships, where you can say, this is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. I need help to develop that level of honesty. Now, all of our groups will spend a little bit of time exploring confession, but we do have that that one specialized group that Grace is leading that's going to spend five weeks digging into this practice. And if you feel like there's something here that you need to explore more of, go for it. This is going to be such a great space that Grace is creating for us to go deeper with this practice. So email her if you want to be a part Of that. Richard Foster again, confession, he says, begins in sorrow, but it ends in freedom and joy, which leads to good works. Confession begins in sorrow, but it ends in freedom and joy, and it leads to good works. Revival, renewal, movement, whatever you want to call it, it happens when people are set free from their sin, not when people become perfect and holy, but when that stuff no longer has power over us, we are free. Free to love God and to love other people. Now, many years ago, I helped plant a church in Durango, Colorado, And part of our our vision, we were very adamant about this. We wanted to be a community that was real and authentic. We did not want to be a a bunch of polished, nice Christians. We wanted to be this sort of raw community of notorious sinners. We loved that phrase and used it a lot. Notorious sinners who lived and loved like Jesus. And it was this very cool vision, but for a while it was just a lot of talk. When we first started... uh, Launching that church, we met in small groups, and then eventually we we started to meet on Sunday nights. We met for a little while in this restaurant called Pickles. It was incredible. Then we moved to a community center, and then eventually we found a different space uh, to meet in on Sunday mornings. But in that moment where we were meeting on Sunday night, there, there was a time where the, the kind of formal part of the gathering was over, but everybody was still there hanging out, and we kind of ended up in this big circle. And this one family was Uh, sharing with us the struggle that they were having. Their, Their oldest son was in jail. And the toll that that was taking on them as parents. And as they shared their story, it just opened the floodgates. We ended up sitting around for, I don't know, an hour, two hours, talking about the things that were going on in our lives. This young couple started to share about struggles they were having in their marriage. A single gal admitted to being super lonely. I I shared about my relationship with my dad, which was not great at that time. And we just went around kind of spontaneously naming our stuff. Money issues, jobs that weren't working out, other parenting challenges, all sorts of things. And that's the night, that's the night that we became a church. It wasn't when we filed our paperwork or put an ad in the newspaper or even started meeting on Sundays. It was that moment where we told the truth to each other. Where we stopped being polite and started to get real. Here's my prayer for us, Discovery, in this moment. We are six months into a pandemic that none of us planned on or was prepared for. This is hard, and it's been hard on many of us. And and if we're being honest, we're not doing great. None of us, again, was prepared for this. Life was not meant to be lived in this way. And my sort of pet theory of this pandemic is that it has amplified Whatever was going on there before, it's just amplified it to several degrees. Whatever the tensions and frustrations, whatever it was about your life that was already unsustainable and unhealthy, it's just gotten blown up 10, 20, 30 times. And then facing that, having to look that down and name it is hard. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to say, this has been really hard. So much about our our larger culture, so much about our culture in Davis is to say, oh yeah, we're doing great, this is fine, look at all the great things that have come out of this. And, And there are some good positive things that have come out of this moment, but it's also okay to say, I'm struggling. This has not been easy, I need help. This leads to the final term because confession is not just about catharsis. It ultimately is about mission. Because when we tell the truth, when we confess and we begin to heal, we then in turn become a healing presence in our world. Sorrow to joy to good works. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let's pray. Father, I do pray for our community in this moment as we engage this practice, which is an ongoing practice. There isn't a a sort of moment of confession and then we did it and we move on. We have to continue to tell the truth about who you are, about who we are. We tell the truth about things that are going well and the things that you are doing in our life. We tell the truth about our struggles. Because it's in that honesty, God, it's in that honesty that we create space for your Spirit to work in our life. We confess sin to be forgiven of sin so that we can be free and healed to serve each other, to serve your purposes in the world. So I pray, God, that we would engage wholeheartedly in this practice, that we would find that one or two people that we need to be able to say, this is what's going on and this is how I'm doing and this is where I need help. As we get real honest about this stuff, God, as we confess To one another, would you bring that healing and that freedom that we so deeply desire? And then may we become a community that is a healing presence. In a time where so many of us are struggling, this has been hard. It's taken a toll on us in so many ways, God. We need your strength. We need your spirit to move in us, to renew us, to heal us so that we can be a healing presence to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.